Well, this morning we get the uh, privilege to wrap up our series together, a three-part series, Insecurity. And if you missed any of them, jump online at theradiantlife.church and go to our media page. And every, the previous two are uploaded already so you can get caught up. But uh, if you want to jump in, we're just going to jump into Scripture this morning. And we're going to finish John chapter 21. So if you want to turn there, it's found in your Newer Testament John, about two-thirds of the way through the Bible, you'll run into those four guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we'll be in John. Let us get us a, a setup for this morning, is that we covered the last end of John chapter 20. Last week, we covered the beginning of John chapter 21. This week, we'll wrap up John chapter 21. But what is happening in, right before our story is that Jesus is resurrected. He's died, he's been put in the grave. Three days later, Jesus is alive now, and then he appears to the disciples on three different occasions. Twice he's appeared to them in the city of Jerusalem, and then he says, hey guys, I'm going to go talk to you up at the Sea of Galilee. Meet me there. And last week we learned it's about a hundred mile trek on foot to the Sea of Galilee through the Jordan, through the Rift Valley, or the Jordan uh, River Valley there. And he's going to get there, and the the disciples are there. Last week's story is they're fishing and they don't realize that's Jesus on the shore. They're about a hundred yards out. They've been fishing all night, catch nothing all night. And then the guy on the shore says, hey, throw your net on the right side of the boat. They listen and they catch 153 large fish. And then Jesus, they realize it's Jesus. They come to him and Jesus is like, hey, let's have breakfast together on the shore. So they have breakfast, and then in the midst of having breakfast, when, all, when it's all said and done, Jesus and Peter are going to have a conversation. Jesus is going to ask Peter three different times, Peter, do you love me? And I can imagine Peter getting a little frustrated. Yes, how many times do you have to ask me? I love you, I love you. But three times. Remember how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. And now Jesus is taking him back and all his insecurities back to that moment of remembering how you denied me three times. I'm going to ask you three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? And in this public, compassionate way, Jesus reinstates Peter on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Where about, that's about the time of day that the story was going to take place on the Sea of Galilee. Peter is reminded of my calling. I'm to fish for people, not for fish anymore. And Jesus reinstates him in front of the disciples right then and there. And then, not only is that going to happen, but Jesus is going to tell Peter, hey, by the way, um, you're not going to like the way you're going to die. <laughs> Can you imagine getting that news? Like, oh, really? Can we talk about the fish I just caught? No, by the way, you're just not going to like the way you die. And this is where we pick up in our story, John chapter 21, we're going to pick up in verse 19. Jesus just told Peter, you're not going to like what you, what's going to happen to you. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then Jesus said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Now who is this disciple whom Jesus loved, it's John. It's the author of the letter that we're in, John. And then John goes on and describes, this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, when Peter realized that this disciple John is following Jesus and I, 
Peter asked, can we read these four words together, friends? Lord, what about him? And you have this amazing conversation that takes place with Jesus and Peter. And, hey, Peter, you're going to take care of my people for me because I'm going back to heaven. And you're the leader. You take charge. And Peter, in the midst of it, well, what about John? What about him? What's going on in his life? And you look at that and say, is there something between Peter and John? Like, Peter, of all things, why do you care about John? Well, in order to understand a little bit more into this tension of Peter and John and why Peter would even ask about John, you got to turn back one chapter to John chapter 20 in verse 1. We're going to pick up eight verses there to see maybe there is a little bit of something going on with Peter and John, okay? John chapter 20, verse 1. Let's look at this story. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Now, remember, if you were here last week, I told you where she's from, the city of Magdala. What's so important about that city? Anyone remember? Did I hear crickets? <laughs> Brian, you did such a great job last week. It was the salting center. Magdala was the salting center. How many actually knew it and just didn't want to say it? Okay, good. I reached five of you last week. All right, we're moving forward. Do for one that you wish you could do for the many, all right? Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Who is this again? This is John. And said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple, John, started out for the tomb. All right? And this is where Peter and John get fun. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I don't know if John is like, like a gazelle and just runs, but he's letting us know, I outran Peter. I'm the first one at the tomb. And John, he bends over and looks in the tomb, or looks in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, in case you didn't get it the first time, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And you sit there and wonder, all right, is there some, what's going on between Peter and John? Like, why does John actually write this thing to say, hey, I outran Peter, I got to the tomb first. Why does Peter want to know when Jesus tells him, hey, you're going to lead my church, you're going to lead my people, people. and why does, he, why does Peter care? Well, what about him? What, is there some petty rivalry between these two characters, these two disciples? Well, there's a lot of similarities between these two, Peter and John. So let's look at some. These two guys likely grew up in the same small village. They were both fishermen, which they would have both, according to John chapter 1, been from the village of Bethsaida, which is on the north northern side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a small fishing village, maybe no more than 500 during the time of Jesus. So it's like Baroque, all right? It's, I don't even know the size of Baroque. What's the size of Baroque? So, Vines, you know 
You don't know. All right, well, we'll say it's small like Baroque, all right? Very small little village, fishing village, okay? They're both from there. Number two, they're fishing partners. We know that they are both fishermen. Number three, they were called at the same time. Jesus calls Simon and Andrew when they were fishing, say, hey, come follow me. And then moments, sentences later, we see that. Then he finds James and John brothers and says, hey, come follow me. They're called at the same time to follow Jesus. Both of these guys were in Jesus' inner circle of three. Jesus had the 12 disciples, but then he had a smaller group of three, James, John, and Peter. James and John being brothers, son of Zebedee. And they were in the inner circle of Jesus' three. Here's what else. Peter was older than John. We know Peter's the oldest of all the disciples, maybe early 20s, somewhere along there. And Peter, we know he was married because Jesus went to Peter's mother-in-law and healed his mother-in-law. John is probably the youngest of all the disciples. So you have basically the oldest and possibly the youngest there. Well, there's more comparison. John was the one whom Jesus loved very clearly in his letter. Like, I'm going to let everyone know that's my nickname. I'm the one whom Jesus loved. Like, what an awesome nickname to have, right? Instead of like little squirt or something, you're the one whom Jesus loved. Like, what a great nickname. Here's also interesting. Peter denied Jesus three times. John was with Jesus at the cross. John was the only disciple there when Jesus was dying. It was John, but it was Peter who denied him three times. Here's what also is fascinating. We just read, John made sure to let you all know he outran Peter to the tomb twice. He's the first one there. He's a gazelle. And then we also know it was John from last week's story. John noticed Jesus first from the boat. You remember that? When they didn't know who that figure was, and then it was John who said, it's the Lord. And then Peter was the one that, hey, I'm already wet. I'm going to jump in. So you have this like comparison thing going on between me, the older, the younger, and you have this thing going on. And what I think is so interesting is here now Jesus has conquered death, conquered sin, new hope and new life is just bursting forth. It's on the scene and Jesus is like, Peter, publicly and compassionately, I'm reinstating you to remind you of my vision and my purpose and the path I have for you. You are to lead my church. And he sits there and reinstates Peter in front of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. And in the moment of Peter, I imagine his just shame and his regret and his insecurity, those shackles are just broken. Peter's response in the midst of the living Jesus when they thought he was dead, Peter's response, well, Lord, what about him? Like, it's great that you reinstate me. It's great that you're alive. What about him? What are you going to do in his life? What are you going to do about him? I want to know, what about John? What are you going to do? And Jesus' response to Peter, if I want him to remain alive until I return, Peter, what is it to you? And then these four words, Jesus speaks to him. You must follow me. Because of this, 
the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. You ever struggle with gossiping and rumors? Hey, so did the disciples, all right? They struggled. This is how, oh, Jesus said he's not going to die. Oh, let our neighbors know. Oh, Jesus, John's going to clear this up. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And I love the question that Jesus has to Peter. Peter, what is that to you? What is it to you? Because Peter's desire is, Jesus, I want to know what you're going to do with John. I want to know. And Jesus, what I'm going to do with John is none of your business. It has nothing to do with you, Peter. Don't worry about him. And then I got to thinking, huh, Peter doesn't like something. I realized, you know what? We all have a path that God has us on. A path that's created for you. Only you. Uniquely shaped for you. And Peter in the midst of that is what I'm realizing is Peter doesn't like his path. Or he doesn't want to know, what about John's path? You told me how my path is going to end. What about John's path? What are you going to do about John? And how often do we get stuck on worrying about other people's paths and not our own? Well, it's not fair. How come they got that family? They got to grow up in that family and I didn't. I like their path better. Why'd they get that job? That's been my dream job. I've been working my tail off to get that promotion. Then you give it to the lazy person? I want their path because that's what I wanted all along. What about their path? Why did they have the perfect marriage and raise the perfect kids and they don't rebel and I've done everything in my power to do the right thing and that they look perfect. I want their path, not mine. Church, what I realize, friends, is this. Very few things will sabotage our path more than comparing ourselves to other people. It's the comparison game. And we're so good at looking at other people's paths because we allow jealousy to creep in. You know, it's okay to admire people. There's people that we admire. There's people that we want to emulate, right? Sometimes we admire people so much we begin dressing like them Wearing the same jewelry as them, getting the same clothes as them. We begin to even maybe speak like they do. And it's like, okay, it's kind of creepy now. <laughs> but we admire them and we just, well, I just want to be more like you. And what I first realized when I got into ministry is I was trying to know who I was as a communicator. And then I would look at other big pastors out there. I would look at Andy Stanley's of the world, who's a phenomenal communicator. I would look at the Craig Rochelle's of the world and be like, wow, how come they can communicate so well? I desire that. And what I realized when I first got into ministry, I was copying their style of presenting God's word. And I realized that's not me. And God had a conversation say, Ryan, cultivate your own voice. I created a path for you. 
and how you're going to communicate God's word. Walk that path. And I realized when we were constantly comparing ourselves to other people, we become more like them and less like ourselves. We need a first edition you. Turn to your neighbor and say, be a first edition. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you better be a first edition. The way God has you created for a purpose, for a path. God needs you to be you. You need you to be you. Your family needs you to be you. And others need you to be you. Don't be someone else. Don't allow the insecurities of your life to creep in where you say, you know, I'm not good enough, but I like what they do. I'm going to do what they do. Be you. Be you. Bronnie Ware right, wrote an article. The article's called The Top Five Regrets of Dying. She's an author and a blogger, and she went around for several years um, sitting with dying patients, trying to figure out what are just regrets that they have now that they're literally at the end of their life. What are regrets? And she boiled it down and comprised them after long interviews and over several years of there's top five regrets of all dying people can land in these top five categories. And the number one regret after all these interviews with dying people is this. I wish I had the courage to live a tr life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Can you imagine that pain on your deathbed? To sit there and go, I wish I just walked the path God had for me and not because I was comparing myself to others or because I think mom and dad want me to walk this path or grandma wants me to walk this path or my spouse thinks I should walk this path. To go on your deathbed and say, you know what? I truly believe I walked the path God created for me. And to have peace. In her interview, she said that's the number one regret. To not live the life others expected of me. Friends, I want you to know this. You have a sacred and holy path to walk that's designed for you, that God has orchestrated for you in your life. Don't pattern your path around someone else's. It will sabotage how God and what God has created for you to do. Walk your path. And I got to thinking, well, why do we compare? Why do we want to walk another person's path? path? And I realized something. We resent what God is doing in our lives because we feel like we're getting gypped in our own. Because I want that. I've always dreamed of that when I was a little girl, that that's the way my family would be. And so I resent what's happening in my life because I want that path. And you know when we allow jealousy to creep in our hearts, you know the first thing that's sacrificed is gratitude. We don't become thankful anymore. We'll sit there and say, you know what, God, I don't know if your path is right. I'm going to do what they do because their path is awesome. I've always wanted this path in my life. And Jesus' words to Peter, I wanted you to know, Jesus wants to cripple the comparison game that we play in our lives. He wants to cripple it. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's cripple it. We compare so much. 
in our lives. And Peter, hey Jesus, what about him? What about John? And I think for some of us, if we were to put our own words into that sentence, that we would say, what about him? What about her? What about them? Because Jesus, I see good things, that things that I've always wanted. What about him? What about her? What about them? And I love when Jesus' response to Peter, he, again, he doesn't spank Peter for questioning what he's going to do in his life. His last four words to, to Peter, hey Peter, you must follow me. What is it to you? Praise team, you can work your way up. I have this path for you, Peter. And nothing else in this world should matter. What should matter is your obedience to the path I have for you. Don't allow the insecurities to creep in. May you allow Jesus to craft your path. To embrace your path. As individuals, what would it look like, friends, if we allow God to craft our own stories and allow, say, God, I am yours. And every single morning we wake up and say, God, I can't wait to walk the path you have for me. Every morning we say that. And that we don't go to work and just start comparing. Man, I wish I was like them. I wish I was like her. I wish I had his path. Allow Jesus to shape your own unique path. And allow Jesus to cripple the comparison game that we play when we don't like our path. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, I'm going to be the very first one to confess to you that it is so easy to compare. It's so easy, especially when we're just in the fog and storm of life that we look at someone else's and we feel like they're on the mountaintop. So you know what? I want to follow that path that got them up there. I don't like what I'm facing in my life right now. I pray for every single person here that does that. And God, I am, I confess to you, I do. That you would give us a spirit that's so in tune to your spirit. That you would give us a spirit of grace. You'd give us a spirit of wisdom. You'd give us a spirit of strength to walk the path you have uniquely shaped for us. Because God, as we stand here, I don't want any single person in this room including myself, to sabotage what you want to do in their lives. Because God, you, you choose to use us in all of our brokenness. You need us to be us who you've created us to be. This church needs all of us to be who you created us to be. Our families need it. And other people that are in our lives that you have put into our lives need us to be us not someone else. So Father, may we search for what that is.
And may we never fall into that trap of comparing ourselves to others. May we never lose the spirit of gratitude, of thankfulness, of always saying, you know what, God, if that's my path, I'm still going to praise you in the midst of this path. Even though I don't like the path and this little bend around the corner that I'm taking, I'm going to praise you and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to be obedient around this turn even though it feels like hell right now, God. Father, may you give us a spirit that's in tune with your will. And may we go wherever you have our own path to go, God. And I ask this in the awesome, matchless name of Jesus.